Hello there everyone and welcome back to episode 6 of Psych to be with you. This time my guest is Mari Nolan, uh, a puzzle game designer that helps craft all those little tricky puzzles that leave you scratching your head um, from, from, you know, escape rooms, puzzle board games and puzzling video games. This episode has them all. Learn how these puzzles are crafted, learn how they work through and learn how to become a puzzle master yourself. All this and more. If you enjoy the discussion I have with Mari, check out the links attached to wherever you find this episode. Brief content warning, there are some mentions of spoilers of various things. There are some sort of loose themes that uh, listeners may find unsettling, as well as a passing mention of the use of firearm. Um, so just be aware of all those. Remember, you can access resources at takethis.org forward slash mental health resources. Enjoy this episode. It was a cracker. Hello there, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Psyched to be with you. I'm your host, Christopher Leach, a.k.a. Chimp195. It's episode six, halfway through season three, halfway through the year. It is the height of summer, or at least I'm assuming it will be in the future when this goes out, which you can tell if you're watching by my beautiful lavender t-shirt um we're 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 gonna be getting into an episode today and i'm very excited because this, this is kind of new territory for the show in terms of what we're going to be discussing so i'm quite excited um get your notepads get your magnifiers out maybe a sherlock holmes fake pipe bubble pipes only if you have one um and let's get stuck in so all it remains for me to do is to uh, allow you, my very special guest, to please introduce yourself. If you could tell us who you are and what you do. Sure. Hi, Chris. Uh, so my name is Mari Nolan, and I am a puzzle game designer based in Edinburgh in the United Kingdom. So I actually always love to introduce myself as a puzzle game designer rather than like, well, like a video game designer or like a board game designer, because I actually tend to work in every medium but specifically the puzzle game genre so i do do some video games i do do some tabletop games i do do the sherlock holmes kind of things with the pipe and everything um escape rooms murder mysteries pretty much any kind of game you can imagine that has that mystery or like puzzle mechanic is the kind of thing i work on so yeah that's me hi and for clarity for people i think particularly the uk audience we're not talking about jigsaws no we are not we're talking about like logic things, brain teasers, like escape the rooms kind of mechanics. Um, I think I think that's quite like an American term, right? The whole like puzzle, they mean jigsaws when they say that. But when I say puzzle, I do mean more like solving something, if that makes sense. <laughs> I, you know, international audiences, you've got to try and be really clear on these type of things just for definitely not me getting terms <laughs> confused or anything like that. <laughs> that's all right um so pu- puzzle game designer then what can you can you reel off anything that you've done that we might know of or that might like ring a bell with anyone Ooh, that's a good question so i've been working on a number of different kinds of projects across like video games board games everything um without probably boring you and your listeners with my entire job history i'll talk about the most recent ones so um, I know you're big on video games yourself. So the last couple of months I've been working with a company called Eleven Puzzles and we've been making two player co-op detective puzzle games, kind of one where 
one person sees one side of a scene and the other person sees the other side of the scene. So by working together between what you have on your screen, you kind of have to like solve the puzzles and escape. Or in this case, you're like catching the bad guys. <laughs> it's called um, <laughs> Unboxing the Cryptic Killer. And we have a free game as well, which is called Unsolved Case. So very much that kind of like detective style. Um, but then also worked with a Canadian company called Mysterious Package Company, which kind of does what it says on the tin. So we make mysterious packages, kind of like board games that get shipped out to you, but more like, I suppose, an alternate reality game, which for those who don't know, is like, it kind of dips into real life. So you get a mysterious letter from someone and there's a clue in the letter that takes you somewhere online and then maybe even takes you to a real life physical location. Um, before that, I did a bit of work with, um, Wizards of the Coast. So a couple of things with Dungeons and Dragons, Magic the Gathering, like small, like not like part of the big main games, but promotional activities. So we did like a scavenger hunt where everyone could come in like costume as part of their like D&D group and like solve puzzles and have like battles in real life kind of thing, which was a lot of fun. Um, and I guess the last one to mention would probably be Professor Puzzle, which is a board game company here in the UK who also do like more escape room games. So in lots of big shops, you see things like uh, Escape from the Grand Hotel, Escape from the um, Starland Express, those kinds of games. I've worked on a bunch of ones with those as well. So really across the board, like a lot of different types of games, but all of them puzzle games. So those are the kind of things I would tend to work in. And there's smaller companies as well, but those might be the ones that you might have heard of potentially. Okay, so this is, you know, when when I sort of, uh, you know, for transparency for listeners, uh, I saw your tweet about being <laughs> going through your podcast era, as you defined it, and I was like... Yeah, for some reason I've been doing a lot this year, but I love them to pieces, but I, a lot of people are interested in puzzle games right now, it's great. <laughs> so I think, you know, people people know particularly of video games that are puzzle games, you know, that, that's a very well, well-known genre, you know, think of Professor Layton, uh, go for yeah. like Monkey Island, you know, these type of things. Um, and I feel like everyone kind of has probably done an escape room, right? Like, everyone has probably done one. It's one of those things that maybe you do for a mate's birthday or, you know, uh, you know uh, wedding parties. You know, it's that type of yeah. activity, right? Um, exactly. It's like instead of bowling or something, right? It's one of those. Like, you go with a group of friends or colleagues. So is it like many other things in this type of professional arena where you now can't go to an escape room and enjoy it because you just like, well, I, you can walk into it and go, I know exactly where the answer for this is unfortunately yes but i will say that doesn't stop me so it does happen that i well actually as of now i think i've played around 400 escape rooms i'm a mega nerd about escape rooms oh, no, I'm sorry. Four waste... double zero. yeah 400 escape rooms in different countries all around the world every time i go on holiday i drag whoever i'm with into a couple of escape rooms <laughs> So by the time I hit 400, I think I was seeing a lot of the same puzzles. And so I do have to like hold my tongue so that everyone else around me doesn't hate me in the escape room. <laughs> but um, in terms of like it being ruined, I think not because it's like when you get a game like a, what any kind of puzzle game, right? It's all about the discovery and puzzles are a medium to tell interesting stories as well. So it's never necessarily about well, like let's say I walk into a escape room and I can hear Morse code. I do know Morse code, but I'm gonna try not to like uh, like deliberately like solve it. I'm like wait for us to find the clue that tells us it's Morse code. But it's like 
the Morse code is encoding a message and the message is important for the experience we're having because the message tells us something goes on. So it's definitely still fun to enjoy them. But yeah, I, people do say that like, well, any discipline, right? Like let's say you studied architecture or whatever it is, you can't look at buildings in the same way because you're like, oh, that cornice, that like pillar, whatever it is. Yeah, I walk into a, a room or play a video game and I'm like, oh, I know what type of puzzle that is kind of thing straight away. I still love them though, still my number one hobby. So <laughs> even though I do have that feeling sometimes, I can't help myself but continue to play them. <laughs> so let's take that question then and flip it on its head. Have you played maybe particularly more video game-ish because you can kind of do more with the uh, distortion of reality there that it kind of like made you sit back and go, oh, this was great. I didn't kind of expect this. Yeah, so I love that. The amazing thing about video games is you can do things that aren't possible in real life, which I absolutely love. Because if you walk into a physical escape room or if you open a board game, at the end of the day, it's like paper, it's bricks, it's whatever the medium is. But in video games, you can play with literally anything, right? I played this amazing virtual reality game um, a couple of months ago, and it was called, I think it's called A Fisherman's Tale. And without spoiling the puzzles, there are moments in the game where you are looking at a tiny version of yourself. And as you move, the tiny version of yourself is moving. So you can take things and hand them to the tiny version of yourself. And then the giant things come down. You have to like grab it and use it and vice versa. And that was just incredible to me. Like there's nothing like that. First of all, I don't understand how the game engine processes this so well. But second of all, just from a creative puzzle point of view, that's something a well, I suppose a traditional puzzle designer or maybe a game designer wouldn't necessarily think of in terms of this is possible, but someone's come along and been like, what if we break the rules of reality and do something that's totally out there and totally different from anything else? So I absolutely love that game. And actually talking about VR reminded me of another one, which is called Down the Rabbit Hole. And a very similar thing in that you play with your own size. So in the traditional Alice in Wonderland tale, she sort of drinks a potion, gets bigger and smaller. And the virtual reality game very much plays on that as well. It's not really puzzles as such, but the changing of perspective enables you to do things with the characters around you. So sort of go into a room, something's out of reach, drink the potion, suddenly you're massive and you're looking into the room and then you can move things around. And I think it's really clever as well. So massive fan of how video games do that across the board i've mentioned two virtual reality ones because that's definitely the one that's coming to mind because i do like to work with a lot of physical spaces and man does dining an escape room it's four walls right so to have a video game you still design four walls but every other rule is out of the box and i love that <laughs> i know you mentioned uh, like the sort of co-op detective experience i've played like a we yeah. here too that's the yeah. kind of game where it's like you know you, it's an in-game walkie-talkie and you know I remember like I was playing that with a friend and um there was this puzzle with like a wall that was coming towards you and you need to like push the right weapon on a knight and like one person yeah. was meant to be and I was like, It's a sword of some description. I think I don't know what what I don't know what flavour this is. All the words have escaped my brain because I'm under pressure. And my friend was just like, We're not playing this anymore. This is this is ridiculous. And I was like, Okay. Oh no. I think <laughs> I I'm, guess it depends who you're with, right? If you need a good communicator for those kind of games. And I think so this is maybe gonna date myself here as a little bit a little bit old. Um but one of the I think standout video game puzzles that I've ever engaged with actually comes from and spoilers, Legend of Zelda um Phantom Hourglass. Um yeah. 
And I I spent ages. It was like there was this marker or a stone tablet on a map and you needed to get it onto your map. And I was sitting there okay. going, well, how am I? I'm circling it. I'm trying to make the shape out. All these things. It was only when I achieved maximum frustration, I shut my DS and sort of plonked it on my bed, did I then hear the do-do-do, and I was like, are you for real? Because <laughs> it was on the top screen, the map was on the bottom, and like, all I had to do was sh- shut my DS over. No, I, but, but that's amazing. <laughs> because it, it involved something in the real world, I didn't think of it, because I was playing the game. So it's genius. Yeah. But that really stands out to me as something that I literally didn't think of doing yeah that's amazing i love that i love creative puzzles like that there's um i'm actually working on one that slightly well i am under nda so i won't give any specifics but it's going to be a mobile game and we're very much playing around with what your mobile phone can do in terms of like you can breathe on it you can like move it you can balance it you can shake it so even though the game is playing with it's very much a mobile game there's a point in the middle of the game where your perception of what you can and can't do is going to break and it's very much inspired by games like that because i imagine when you were playing zelda you never would have thought about the the function of what the ds can do in your hands and i love it when the game developers sort of challenge you around that so that blows my mind and i need to look for that game although i don't have a ds but i will i'll look for it and i'll try and emulate it on a different device because that sounds great fun (laughs) um and I think maybe maybe just my brain, I'm not a puzzle designer, obviously, but like I would definitely try and like I'm gonna say the term playfully, but like screw with the player and I'd have a puzzle <laughs> that just involved you like sleeping eight hours. Like you just phys- <laughs> like you physically just can't progress until a certain amount of time has passed. Just to annoy people. Oh, I love that. Just to, just to like really tick them off. Um I love that. Although people will try and hack it, won't they? They'll change the time on their computers or their phones. People will always try and get around it. <laughs> well, I remember I saw an article about it, but there was an achievement that you can get on the Stanley Parable where you had to have yeah. a, an active save file for like 12 years or something. And it was like... I think the achievement was called like Go Outside or something like that. And it was literally something like Don't Play the Game for X number of years, right? Yeah, and it was like, I remember that seeing the, like, this was the first date in time this was possible. And I think that's so that's so, <laughs> so great. Like it goes back to like um, even Metal Gear Solid Three, where you could yeah uh, again I won't spoil it too much because it's fun. But like there's a certain point where you can progress by changing the in-game clock or by legitimately oh. going away and coming back after a certain amount of time. So clever! I would love to see a game that did that, but with time travel. In that, like you'd made a mistake and you had to change the clock on your computer to go back and fix the mistake, but nothing prompted you almost like an Easter egg that you could do that in a game. So I'd love to see someone play with that, but the opposite rather than skip forward, skip back in time. (laughs) Oh, now that's interesting. I haven't seen that done before, but I'm going to make a note of that for a future game. (laughs) Yeah. Like almost like instead of having saves, there's just actual time. So you have to go back to that point. Or, like, put in, like, a specific Ooh. date and time to return to where you yeah. were. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, so if it was on a real clock, kind Co- of, like... Copywriting this like... right now, mid-episode, okay? <laughs> you can, no one can steal this. You heard it here first. Go for it. <laughs> I think it's fantastic. I hope such a game exists. 
That is brilliant. <laughs> um, sorry, I do actually have like a list of questions and a, a general kind of flow sure. of conversation. Um, <laughs> so you've no mentioned worries. a little bit about what you've done um, and you've sort yeah. of mentioned a few of the pieces, which is really cool. Obviously, NDAs. Is there anything else sort of coming up that you want to sort of give a teaser to specifically, a bit of preview time? Ooh, things upcoming. Well, that is an excellent question. Probably the one thing that is coming up that by the time this airs might already be out, so it's not necessarily coming up, so I'll just say it as if it's out. It's out. I've been working on a really fun board game the last couple of months that we actually put on Kickstarter um, at the end of last year, and it did really, really well. But we've since been developing the game, and it's actually launching properly from the Kickstarter imminently and the game is called Dimensions. so it's a 3d pop-up haunted house experience and i really can't describe it any better than that because essentially you have this massive and for people watching they can see me gesturing my hands but if you're listening along i'm making big shapes in the air it's a massive 3d pop-up in that you kind of start as a book and you open it up and you get this big 3d haunted house space and almost like a real escape room you get to go through those rooms and like push the little doors open and look inside the cupboards and look under the tables and stuff like that but it's real kind of like escape room type of puzzles so it takes a huge amount of space in the best way and you kind of have to vanquish ghosts fight demons that kind of level of like the house is cursed fix it and it's about 10 hours in gameplay and it took us almost a year to develop and the fact that it's finally here i'm just absolutely thrilled it's been the number one thing i've been thinking about all week because i'm just waiting for this game to arrive to actually see the final production so that's one of the things that i'm quote marks upcoming like it's coming up very soon slash probably out if you're listening at home um but everything else i can think of that i'm actively working on i am under nda for quite a few projects which is really annoying but we've got the mobile game that's going to use like things in a unique way like blowing on the phone and things like that and I am working on a project with a book can't say too much about that but that's very cool because I'm fascinated by all this like I don't know if you're familiar with sort of House of Leaves or like J.J. Abrams S like books that aren't traditional books that you sort of have to twist and turn and follow threads through the footnotes and things like that I'm helping advise on a project that's going to be a very exciting book. Unfortunately, it's not my project to announce, otherwise I would say it, but mm -hmm. that should be coming sometime later this year. Otherwise, the only other thing that comes to mind is, and 2023 is very much my year. Like, I'll be honest with you, I worked a lot last year and I did burn myself out a little bit last year. So this year I was like, I'm going to try and focus on something that is for myself. Mm -hmm. And so I started work on this. I don't really know how to describe it. It's like a... um puzzle game that's very like simple idea deceptively simple just using it to kind of like test my own skills and like continue to build out but you are on a little island and you're a little character and you're setting up a post service so I guess a bit like the film Klaus the Christmas one but point being there's this island doesn't have a post service so no one has addresses no one has postcodes and you have to armed with your little letters and your little map figure out who lives where and sort of learn about the people very simple deceptive core gameplay loop but like a lot of fun to work on and i don't necessarily have any hopes for this game like it's very much like a fun project just for myself because it's like no one's paying me to do this i'm under no deadline i can just do it when i want to and i kind of love that i've been working a very long time just for hire 
So it's nice to have something to work on myself. But who knows? Maybe I will someday finish that and be able to launch that as well. So, so my occupies is where yeah. I send my money like cuz that I think <laughs> well, to me, I need to finish it <laughs> I think that appeals to like that whole kind of like that mini metro-esque kind of player where like yeah. you kind of like you you are you present with a problem this island that has no public yeah. service you have a, a space make it work connect the dots yeah and how many ways you can kind of do that cuz I mean you know I think yeah, I think many people go, well, we'll create a grid, we'll give the grid letters, numbers, and then you essentially end up with like, the postal code system we've got, which is, yeah. spoiler for a lot of people who don't know this, not really foolproof. Postcodes are arguably some of the least important bits of your address, if you're being oh, yeah. really pedantic <laughs> about it. So that's really cool. Mm. Um, yeah, that's kind of like what I'm working on in my spare time. As I say, it's just like a very silly little thing, but hopefully I'll be building a prototype this year. And then who knows, maybe I'll try and get funding and actually release it someday. But try not to give myself any pressure on it. So we'll see. <laughs> gotta, gotta let the passion projects be passion projects. Exactly. Try not to monetize everything. I think that's a problem with today. People try and monetize every aspect of their hobbies and eventually it gets too stressful and you might lose the joy in it. So it's important, especially No idea, no idea what you mean. Sat on my own podcast that I do in my spare time <laughs> alongside streaming and doing a PhD and all that. No idea what you mean. Oh no. <laughs> Wait, this is fun. <laughs> At least this is still enjoyable. <laughs> oh, when you have incredible guests like yourself, it's a great time. <laughs> You know what I mean? Oh, um, thanks. So I'd, I'd love to ask that, especially because you, you work across all mediums, which I think is is, yeah. is rare. How, do you think it's fair to say that there's been a real rise in a return to like analog? I feel like board games have really resurged in popularity in the past like decade. Again, you know, pandemic, COVID, we're standing. I feel like your know, more board game cafes have popped up, and we're seeing people wanting to engage more with like physical things do you think that's a fair assessment what's your what's your take on i that? really do yeah absolutely so i'm not an expert in the history of it by any means but i definitely think we've seen that as well and as you say only exacerbated by the lockdown when of course people were stuck at home for three years with friends family and needed something to do that was a little bit different board games took off but definitely in the last sort of, yeah, as you say, the last decade, when I was growing up as a kid, I don't remember any board game cafes. And now I think I have three within a 10 minute walk from my flat. So for sure, something has changed. I think it might be almost, well, number one, the board games being produced today are absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Coming from someone who plays way too many board games, it's unhealthy. Like people come around for a drink and I'm like, right, what board game are you playing? They're like, no, we just wanted to chat. And I'm like, no, no, we're no, playing we a board No, we will have game. fun. I have spent money on these <laughs> games and you require usually more than two people to play them. You're going to play. Oh, yes. Like Organized fun. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah, like the kind of board games coming out, just so creative. People integrating different things like a little bit of augmented reality if there's sort of an app that goes with the board game or sort of audio visual that's just so impressive. But I also think it's a little bit nostalgia. So I read something very recently which uh, upset me a lot, and it was that CDs are coming back into fashion because of nostalgia. And I was like, hold on a minute, CDs went? Like, where, like, CDs are old? What? <laughs> okay, but, but like, there's no... Okay, no, I'm taking my glasses off for this one to try and... <laughs> Like, I get, I get why vinyl has like an inherent value, right? right. I enjoy that. Like, it right. sounds that it legitimately sounds better. There is something about the crackle 
about that analog. Yeah. Like, discs are a form of physical media that is digital. You need something digital to play it. Yeah. And, like, I don't see a benefit of why, like, bringing them back. Like, cases are nice, dual cases and album covers. Yeah. But, like, there's no inherent value <laughs> in it. I'm confused. Well, as I say, I had no idea they'd gone, but I think people are doing it for the aesthetic, like buying old, like, uh, disc players and carrying those around instead of their, like, Spotify on their phones and stuff, which is wild to me. But it all to kind of say that these things, whatever they are, come in cycles. And I was, I suppose, trying to make a big point that sort of when digital video games became more and more popular, analog, analog games probably fell out of fashion. But as with all things, these things kind of pop up almost like a nostalgic thing. Uh, I think CDs are before their time. And I am like, oh, God, how old am I? But I'm like, CDs are something that is very normal until recently. But no, apparently I'm literally going through that internalized crisis, like, right now as we speak. Like, I've I've pre-ordered a physical CD album, like, like the other week. (laughs) You're so retro. What can I say? (laughs) I'm obviously cooler than I thought I was. Yeah, exactly. Just run with that. I agree. I mean, I still have all of my CDs, so I'm horrified. Well, maybe they, I can sell them to some Gen Z people. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think that, you know, we've had this great discussion already so far. Um, and I, I feel like there's just so many different threads I can kind of keep pulling on. I think for board games then, what is something that you have seen that you thought was innovative? interesting question maybe not exactly innovative because i know it's been done before but i recently played a fantastic game that uh on the surface so it's called box one and it's actually by uh neil patrick harris who's an actor rather than a board game designer but i think he collaborated with board game designers to make this game called box one and mm, try not to spoil it too much but it sets itself up as one game but it's a card it's like a deck of cards but as you go through it, what you expect breaks and you start to do weird things with the box. So there's like all kinds of hidden compartments in the box itself. And you would never know they're there. They're like so well packaged that you kind of reach a point and you sort of have to rummage around inside a box, lift it under, like take a pin, push something, open something. So impressive. And there's a moment as well where you have to go digital and they just kind of do it so well that you're playing a game and you're also having a digital conversation with someone who's in the game and it feels like real time. Basically, the creators of that game took the concept of a board game and were like, no, no, we're going to do this completely differently and flip it on its head. And it is a puzzle game. So it's called Box One because it's designed to be played by one person. Um, and they do it really well. They even play with that mechanic of being like, it's a very different experience if you play with two because it's designed for one person. So that's probably like one game that's really like impressed me recently. Is it innovative? I don't know. Like there are other board games that hide things in the boxes, especially in the puzzle industry, because when you're designing a puzzle board game, every single material you put into the box is free game for hiding a puzzle. And a lot of people do very creative things where you take the inset and you kind of fold it or manipulate it, or there's tiny text written somewhere on the box that looks like marketing copy, but it's not, it's part of the game. And I love those as well. But I think when it breaks the foundations of reality, I'm coming back to that theme with my VR games as well. When it does that, that's very impressive to me. I am blown away by games who do that. But that's the good thing about puzzle games. That's 
almost standard, you would expect your puzzle game to do something really fun and innovative like that. Okay, so I, and apologies, this is a challenging question, <laughs> but it is, it, it is something you said about the text. You know, I'm, I'm a visually impaired person. I, yeah. I wouldn't possibly even notice that at all. Mm. You know what I mean? How do you think we yeah. can make maybe puzzle games more accessible? That's a really interesting question, actually. And it's a lot of things that come up in the the conversations around games like that, especially with regards to a very common one, which is color blindness. A lot of puzzles involve color. And obviously that is not something puzzle game designers or board games or video games say ahead of time. You just come across that puzzle and you're like, oh, well, I can't progress kind of thing. And especially when it comes to things like, well, visual impairment, because a lot of puzzles are built with what you see so finding something or physically manipulating or looking at a detail or even something like those kind of puzzles where you have to sort of tilt a piece of paper and look at it at a weird angle like all of those require being able to see and see very like fine details and that's a big problem because I would say a lot of the puzzle game industry probably isn't accessible but the ones that are accessible in certain ways generally really do better because in my opinion, if you are designing for like a blind audience, and there are really good games that do, there's an escape room company in London right now, which does completely blind escape rooms. So the entire escape room is pitch black and everyone plays like that. And all the puzzles are designed to suit basically, no matter how, uh, what, no matter how well you can see, you can still play and have a fantastic time. And they are absolutely killing it in terms of accessibility. But because that company does have to consider that and they've made that their whole uh, company ethos, the types of puzzles they invent are incredibly innovative. So all the usual rules that puzzle game designers do, like I'm designing a puzzle with text, for example, and you have to read a written text completely out the door and you have to approach it from a different point of view of like, well, what can we play around with? What other senses can we play with? Can we do like sound? Can we do smell taste anything else that creates an engaging story and tells an engaging narrative i think is actually brilliant and i think it's almost the key to making really good puzzle games is because at the end of the day puzzle games bring people together and puzzle games like all games they like i think okay i'm biased but i think they are the glue that holds like a lot of like society together yep i'm gonna go that big hold society together um but you don't want to exclude someone from that right if you don't consider people who might be deaf or blind, that's a massive portion of your audience that you're not actually getting to and you're almost deliberately excluding. It's difficult, for sure. I don't know what the solution is because I've played some excellent games that did use things that you would have to see and I've played excellent games that didn't as well. I guess it's just having like a balance of things that everyone can access and enjoy as well. Um, again, we we're just we're just chatting away, which is one of the reasons I'm not doing this show. Um, before we start, before I kind of ask a more formal question, do you have a preferred theme to your puzzles, such as escape rooms? They tend to be quite thematic. Like I've done, I did a detective one that's used like a zombie one of some description, a biohazard one, and anything. Oh, I love that. I love sci-fi, but that's mainly because you don't really do locks and keys in sci-fi. It's all quite high-tech and digital puzzles, and I absolutely love that. Plus, I like the peril as well. Like, my spaceship's going to crash and I'm going to die. I quite like that. I want the stress. <laughs> I love that we went from the glue that holds society together to my spaceship's <laughs> going to crash and I'm going to die. <laughs> and that's why... Exactly, I love it, though. That's <laughs> 
So I feel like I've got to ask them, and I understand this is not going to be a linear yeah. answer. But someone's listening to this going, this is incredible. I want to do this. <laughs> how, how did you end up in this role, make, making these games? Wow, so that is actually a really big question, because my uh, career path is absolutely not traditional whatsoever. I um, studied... Uh, my first degree, which I quit halfway, was architecture, which, okay, you can kind of see the link. But then my second one, I did international relations, and I ended up majoring in law. And then I went into counterterrorism. <laughs> absolutely bizarre. And I worked in that, and then I re- realized after a certain point that I absolutely hated it. So I quit with no backup, and I was like, I have no idea what I want to do. And that was when I got a very random job doing marketing for a software company. The software company did uh, software for escape rooms, among other things. And that's kind of how I came across escape rooms as a concept. Tangentially, at the same time, I'm that person in my friendship group that is a little bit extra when it comes to any kind of party setting. So my friend would be like, I'm hosting a party. Let's do something. I'm like, I'm going to write you a four hour murder mystery and everyone's <laughs> going to have twisted us. Like, I was just that person that wanted to do that. So I was making games for fun. And I think that's important as a game designer, like being able to make really silly games just for your friends and family. But I sort of did marketing for a while. And then somehow I went from marketing software to marketing in escape rooms. And then from marketing in escape rooms, then I was more and more involved in the design of the escape rooms. It started very simple. It was like, oh, um, we want to attract people to come to our escape rooms. So let's like put puzzles on social media. And then from that, it was like, we want to sell gift cards, but let's not just sell pieces of paper. Let's like make like a weird like jigsaw. So actual a jigsaw. And then let's put like puzzles on that. And then from that, it was like, oh, we're doing a play at home game. Let's like, and I got to be more and more involved in that. And eventually by the time I left, I was actually working on the full physical escape rooms. And then I went to video games because I've always wanted to work for video games. And someone was very kind enough to take a chance on me, even though I didn't really know Unity or anything, taught myself everything. And then from there, I kind of went freelance. Now I work for a couple of different companies all around the world. And that was many, many years ago. And I've designed many, many games. So how did I get into it? Absolute luck. How would I advise other people to get into it? That's a bigger question. But my biggest advice for, well, I like, I do mentor people in the puzzle game sector. Like I'm a big um, advocate for, especially getting women into games as well. There are not enough female like game designers anyway that aren't getting like the recognition they deserve. So I do like to mentor and I do like to elevate younger puzzle designers sort of getting into it. And I always basically just recommend the same thing. And that is, very easy, but just make games. They don't even have to be good. Just make anything that's in your brain, get it out on paper. Because one day you might have an opportunity like I did to, for example, go from marketing to design. And it helps to just have something at any level, like professional or absolute nonsense that you made for your friends and family at a party. Having some kind of portfolio that you can show people and be like, this is what I did. Of course, there are degrees people can do now. I think sort of set design or video game design or narrative design, anything like that are all fantastic degrees. But even if you don't, that's not a barrier either. Puzzle games are like very niche, even within game design. So actually being able to specialize in puzzle game design is already a very interesting thing and kind of gives you this unique perspective to the industry as well. So very roundabout way of saying how I did. And to other people, just make games, good or bad. Just do it anyway, because it's fun. <laughs> now, tell me to shut my big yazoo. But, <laughs> mate, just, I'm going to float the idea. But yeah. I reckon I would be decent to at least come up with concepts, because I'm a, I do psychology. Oh, yeah. 
right? Yes. Like understanding how people might think in a situation might give yeah. you the power to then manipulate that for the purpose of puzzles, right? Yeah, I would like that. Very true. I mean, like it's the principle of horror, right? Like it's it's horror is purely psychological. <laughs> it's that building of tension. So I feel like, oh yeah, you know, maybe I'm not just saying I'm gonna go make out make out a puzzle game, right? But I'm saying like maybe like you know <laughs> our combined powers could make something pretty impressive. You know what I mean? Yes, I love that. We should absolutely make a game together. But yeah, the psychology slash even horror is not something I'm very good at myself. I'm more like just here's the puzzles, have fun. But building up tension and building like breaking people's expectations and taking them through a path through the experience you've done and then playing with that and what someone expects to see or expects to do and then doing something different or fulfilling that unique way. I feel like, yeah, you would love that side of the game design. You should do it. <laughs> so, so really, I'm just, my brain is just going at this point. I've just done like a cog motion with my head. Like, all right, imagine something again, like I think you've got to subvert people's expectation. So like you yeah. maybe have like maybe an escape room or something, but then like, yeah. have have like something unexpected happen like you know yeah. like a member of staff you know fakes being injured or something you know like you're maybe boring towards more like farmageddon-esque <laughs> stuff but like yeah. you know that sort of like really like the people involved don't think this should happen but it's mm-hmm. actually part of the experience that would be amazing like imagine getting out <laughs> of an escape room and thinking yes you've done it and like the building's locked done. up and it's actually another escape room to try and get out <laughs> that would be incredible that is so innovative and exciting it reminds me a little bit of one i did many years ago and it was just a pop-up so it doesn't exist anymore but you got into the escape room and it was in an office and they were like oh the escape room's on the top floor go into the lift so we went into the lift and the lift got a certain amount and then the lift stopped and they were like oh sorry hold on like we'll just come and fix you and you had a screen and potential trigger warning here but you had a little screen and you could sort see your games master coming out and being like, oh, i'll help you and then someone walks in with a gun and shoots them and you're we all started screaming because it was horror it was a scary game and we were all genuinely terrified and then after a moment the penny drops and you're like oh this is our game that's not real kind of thing but that moment of absolute what is real and what isn't real was just unlike anything but i don't really like horror so i was straight up not having a good time <laughs> i think you definitely have to try and do it without because I, I think horror is almost like the the uh easy route because easy to kind of like shock people mm. like in that scenario i'm not saying that was easy to orchestrate yeah. but like trying to do in a way yeah. where it's not actually potentially harmful is more challenging <laughs> yes yeah because i mean at the end of the day if that had been real and someone had broken in like we were all in danger not fun anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, you didn't exactly sign up for that. I'd, I'd certainly at the very least request no. a refund. <laughs> and maybe you strongly like worded email. <laughs> In the end, it ended up being a really fun experience there. So kudos to that company uh, many years ago. I don't even know if they're still around, but yeah. <laughs> um, okay, then. So you're doing this and you mentioned that you yeah. play a lot of games. You're making a game in your spare time. What do you do then to unwind? Ooh, that is a really good question. I mean, 
I do play escape rooms a lot, and that sounds silly to unwind to play escape rooms, but I know what you mean. That's not exactly like what I should do. So I, I guess I, when I can, I enjoy the sunny weather outside. I like to get out a lot because I work from home, so I spend a lot of time at my desk, and sometimes it's 8 a.m., and then suddenly it's 10 p.m., and I'm like, oh, no, I have not left my desk all day. Goodness. So I try and get out, especially now that summer's here. I live in Edinburgh now and the winters are very long and very dark and very cold. So now that the sun is finally out, I'm walking a lot. So I actually walked up to the top of Arthur's Seat, which is like this big kind of mountain on the outskirts of Edinburgh. Actually, it's not even the outskirts, it's very near the centre. But I finally walked up that, which was a lot of fun. And then I try and do stay creative in lots of fun, unique ways, life drawing, things like that. I mean, the problem with that is, though, it does bleed into my day job in that I do have to do a lot of illustrations and sketches. And then sometimes I'm doing life drawing. and I'm like, oh, this reminds me of something for the game. And I'm like, no, no, I'm here to have fun. <laughs> I need to stop thinking about the game I'm working on. Um, and then the last thing I was going to say is this year, I actually challenged myself to, well, do 52 books, 52 films. And well, the last one isn't even 52. The last one's 100, but the last one's 100 rejections as well. But that's more like... I want to challenge myself to do weird things with people that I would never normally do. So like ring my friend up and be like, do you want to go skydiving? And hoping she says yes. But then if she says no, it's like one of those exciting things that like I was trying to get a rejection, but now we have to go and do this amazing thing that's really fun. So this year is kind of all about trying to read a lot of books, watch a lot of films and do a lot of things that are very far outside of my comfort zone. So that's a lot of fun as well. That's kind of like what this year's uh when i'm unwinding is so have you have you ever skydived no not yet but that's on my list to ask a friend and i'm very much hoping she says no so if she's listening please say no <laughs> have you yeah i actually have weirdly enough um how was it it was <laughs> it was certainly unique like there are like in the uk at least there are rules like you can't just go out they don't just kick you out of a plane yeah you know it's you have to do okay. like what's called tandem so you have to have a train instructor okay. with you. There's two yeah. parachutes, like just for safety. Like you're all. It's very. It's genuinely yeah. very safe, which sounds really daft. Um, <laughs> but like it is. It is impressive to you know because if you travelled in in a plane, you get to see the world yeah. from a certain vantage for a little bit. So it's that extended and that freedom of like feeling of like a flying yeah. like yourself. Very like you know feels very like Dragon Ball Z. You know what I mean? Like you feel like you're you're the one <laughs> making yourself fly, and that's pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah, it's one of those things that's like so far out of my comfort zone that I do want to do before I die, but um, I need to kick up the butt to do it. So I'm trying to do it as part of my 100 rejections. <laughs> nice. Also, this is going to sound like a, a really, really specific like ad, and it's not, but I'm just talking about because I genuinely love it. Have you been to Camera yeah. Obscura in Edinburgh? I have, actually, really recently as well. And it was so much fun. It, like... <laughs> It was legitimately one of my favourite things I did when I visited Edinburgh. I was there for a weekend a couple of years ago. And, like, had it not been for, like, advanced booking because of COVID restrictions, yeah. I'd have gone twice. Yeah. It's really good. Like, and, and what do you think about that? Because Optical Illusion plays a really cool part yeah. in puzzles, right? Yeah, for sure. So the Camera Obscura here in Edinburgh, I don't know how it compares because there's another one down south, but they have this amazing museum section that you kind of go through as you go up to the top floor, which is the, technically the Camera Obscura. And yeah, it was all kind of like sort of, I remember this one bit and you're like 
it's like bars of mirror and you position your face and someone else looks through it. And then the way you look through it, it's like your face morphs and mutates into someone else's face. And it's really clever stuff. Like I absolutely loved it to pieces. I really like optical illusions in things like that. And I have worked on a few puzzles that do take advantage of that. So something called anamorphic text being like one of them where something is kind of spread out over lots of different surfaces and you have to stand in a very particular point in a room to be able to see all the different shapes line up to make digits or a picture or whatever it is and I love that kind of thing and in camera obscure that they had things like that that the illusion could only be seen standing from a certain point of view and I think that is just the coolest thing ever I also worked on oh what was it you know those like old Victorian like long thin it's usually like a theater set up and you look through it and it's like they've constructed a scene but then you look at it from the side and it's like really long and thin and things are getting bigger and smaller and this is not going to make any sense on the podcast because I'm just describing <laughs> something and waving my hands around but visual optical illusions that kind of like more of like small handheld materials that people used to do for fun back in the Victorian era before they had CDs um I'm fascinated by those as well because those can be shrunk down into board games as well um oh loved it camera obscure was the best thing ever highly recommend it you should reach out to them and get them to sponsor this episode I mean yeah hashtag not an ad <laughs> totally would allow it to be an ad like yeah you know, if I if I live by that yeah. I only endorse things I actually enjoy that was legitimately incredible <laughs> uh, and I say that as a blind oh, amazing. Man, you know <laughs> oh yeah how was that as well like were there things in there that you couldn't quite experience i I, know i think it was honestly that good and i I would actually go so far as to say as as much as it's optical it is a multi-sensory experience yeah being there and climbing the tower and all i think added a lot to it um and like amazing did you get to um walk over the walkway with the spinning walls that's really fun that was amazing really trippy yeah i I was gonna say the only way to describe it is trippy (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you couldn't like stand up properly or at least i felt that as i was walking through it i thought i was gonna fall over <laughs> the thing i love about that most is that like it's it's just all science yeah it's, just, it's all it is it's just science like literally I'm like, oh, it's so amazing cool. playing with how your brain interprets the signals it's very cool <laughs> um it's scary but also very cool um <laughs> <clears throat> so I think the other yeah. thing I was like to ask you, we did touch on this, but, but puzzles particularly. So no puzzles in this answer. Challenge question. Um, have you played, <laughs> seen, read, or heard anything lately? Anything good? Maybe a CD, one of those old things? A CD? Gosh. Oh, have I? No. I haven't seen, read, or heard any CDs in quite a while. Um, but that is a good question. As I say, with my 52 books, 52 films, there are a few that I want. Well, actually, with my 52 books and 52 films, that's a mouthful. I asked people at the start of the year if they had any recommendations, kind of like those like Desert Island discs kind of thing, like what is your number one film you would recommend? And I got a lot of classics. So I recently watched things like Casablanca. And actually, my mum recommended Robocop, and I watched that. And you know what? It was actually quite good. <laughs> so just goes to show other people's favorite films and things like that um but yeah kind of all manner of things I mean I watched a very interesting film on Netflix the other day and it was called Big Bug and it was French and it got really terrible reviews and I was like I'm just gonna watch it anyway and I actually thought it was brilliant it was sci-fi it was about AI which is very much the topic of the day as well and it was just eclectic bright colors absolute like 
completely didn't understand what was going on at any moment, but it was an absolute spectacle. And I would highly recommend it. Even though I can see why it got bad reviews, it's very like hard to exactly know what's going on. But you know what? Best two hours you can spend maybe with a drink. Um, so I really like that. And I'm actually working on a murder mystery game as well that's set in a kitchen. So I had to watch uh, The Menu also on Netflix uh, in anticipation of that. Not very good with horror. So that one scared me a little bit. But I suppose it's definitely like a classic film. So would recommend that. But yeah. Otherwise, yeah, lots of films this week. I think I've watched a lot. Listened to, not so much. Read, uh, not so much. I'm like on a sci-fi thing right now, so I'm reading through all of The Expanse, which is a lot of fun. I think I'm at like book six, and there's something like nine core books and like 12 mini novels, so I'm going to be on that for the next few years. <laughs> I mean, I like to... Sci-fi dystopia is probably my favourite genre of book. Oh, do you have any particular favorite books within that? So I really love. I mean, Dune is an amazing series. Oh yeah, I think what that makes is Fantastic. like it's it's geopolitical, religious, kind of philosophical arguments are just yeah. exquisite. Uh, your true like yeah. chef's kiss there, um, <laughs> and some classics, you know, like um, I Am Legend, you know, stuff like that that yeah. like is really sort of you know the book's very different to the film with Will Smith. I'm sure most people sort of thought of when I said that um right. <laughs> or like little things like that that like really sort of address like the end of humanity um yeah i read i read uh, stephen king's the stand um oh yeah during 2020 oh <laughs> that, that's not, for those that don't know the stand is about a virus that wipes out most of humanity and how people deal with that afterwards topical <laughs> i get i love dystopia because i'm like the world's gonna end eventually how will it i want to know yeah, you want to be ready. You want to like have a good sense of it, and yeah, just kind of be emotionally prepared for that. <laughs> yeah, so I, I really like stuff like that. That re- like just is unafraid to look at why essentially humans will be their own downfall. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with the way the world is going. It's inevitable. So it's uh, yeah, it's nice to kind of engage in the fiction so that you can get a heads up about all the different ways we could wipe ourselves out. It's just that it reminds me of that uh, Father John Misty lyric of just like laughing in the dark, just like you're just like just laughing maniacally <laughs> in a dark room. Just going, <laughs> we're all doomed. <laughs> oh God, it's so true. Ugh. I'd rather sit in a dark room and maniacally laugh than maniacally cry. Exactly. Yeah, it's a lot more upbeat. <laughs> a lot more upbeat. Yeah. Um, so these, uh, I think. Two, two of my favourite questions, and I, I love asking yes. these on the show. Um, and I, I can maybe hazard a guess as to what your answer to this first one might be. But okay. what is your big blue sky idea? You have access to unlimited resources, expertise, time, anything you want. What is the one thing you would like to do? Obviously, I imagine you're going to say, like, an escape planet or something. <laughs> No, <laughs> that is exactly where I was gonna go. Like uh, an entire city that's also an escape room, and someone can book in, and they get to live in this incredible city that's so deep, full of puzzles. <laughs> so, that escape from fun. capitalism, the game. Yeah, I suppose so. Although, if it's a blue sky, and like, let's say I had unlimited money, I wouldn't even need to make a profit off it. So, it would just be 
anyone can go. I think what I'm saying is, have you seen Alice in Borderlands? I'm probably making that, <laughs> which is okay. not... Uh, it doesn't end well for anyone in that. It's very violent. Um, but they do solve puzzles, and it's a whole city, and it looks like a lot of fun. I was um, also <laughs> thinking, like, maybe, like, a like Resident Evil, kind of, like, Raccoon City. You have, like, your yeah. X amount of time to get out before the city gets goes kaboom. Oh, that would be so much fun. Though, without the kaboom, I don't actually want to No, no, we don't anyone. actually I want kaboom. to have a good time. It's the threat of the kaboom. <laughs> But yeah, so I guess like my like blue sky would be like if I had unlimited money and space and resources, I would just make something unheard of on the scale. But knowing a project like that, I feel like it would take me the next 50 years to actually create it. So maybe that wouldn't bring me the happiness that I want in life. I don't know. Uh, are you, I'm, I'm going to assume yes. But are you a fan of Black Mirror? Yes, I sure am. Because <laughs> I mean, like, I, I might be getting the episode title wrong, but like White Bear... But as an escape room. Oh, it's like a game show kind of thing, right? Where, like, she's running away. So, like, it's actually... And there's an audience. It's actually, like, the creation... It's a recreation of the criminal justice system. But, like, she doesn't know it. Like... (laughs) Actually, massive spoilers. Spoiler tag. Oh, yeah. That was season one. If you haven't seen that by now, that's on you. (laughs) That came out in 2010. Very true. Definitely one of the most memorable episodes, though. Oh, just like the way it resets and every time she wakes up and she doesn't know and like, over and over. So like, oh, is that like, terrifying. is that basically just two? Like, cause like if going down this hy- hypothetical train is our day to day life, not an escape room and capitalism is the one controlling us to meta. Didn't Shakespeare say all the world's a stage. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Didn't think I'd be going to Shakespeare today. But yeah, I think the whole world and capitalism and society with our weird societal rules is kind of an escape room. But then I'm saying I want to make an escape from that. I want to make a fictional version of that that's more fun and lighthearted and you can get points and prizes, potentially. <laughs> and actually has an escape. <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah. This podcast is a, a very left, left-leaning, liberal, uh, cynical <laughs> perspective of life. And I'm unapologetic. Sorry, not sorry for that. <laughs> that's all good i agree <laughs> um so obviously like yo, know, g- give us a little bit more though so yeah. you've got this playground you've got a city of an escape yes. room and let's let's say it doesn't take you 50 years to make okay what mm. what would what would be your ambition for it that's an interesting question so actually what i've described kind of a few of them do exist so there's this immersive experience in london right now called the burnt city and it's a massive warehouse space i think it's out in sort of far east london and so they have a lot of space around there but they've converted massive massive amount of space into a city and you walk through it and you interact with characters and you kind of like follow puzzle threads and sort of follow different people and every time you go into it you have a different experience, but there is an overarching story happening over the course of the two, three hours. I think I would want to create something like that that was telling a story. And I think that if Blue Sky, I would love to do something that was playing on a popular IP already. So for anyone listening at home, like IP being like an officially licensed something based on a film or a TV series or whatever it is. And probably because I've just mentioned it, but I'm thinking of The Expanse now and I'm like, wouldn't it be cool to have a space and recreate like a space station of some kind and you play perhaps like some kind of detectives or some kind of like character in this world and you don't know who else is in on it and who's like an actor and who's part of it, but you 
have to go through and accomplish your own goals by perhaps performing sort of did more deductive puzzles, maybe like eavesdropping, maybe like trying to like blag your way into like a hidden location and like finding keys and stuff like that. But something that was just on a bigger scale that you could really get lost and really immerse yourself and that people want to keep coming back to and just experiencing. So more than just a puzzle game, I think I would want to tell something like a film length story where the person going through it feels like the main character, like it's their story. And then maybe the next time they come, they have a completely different experience because they're doing something else in this world as well. Now, puzzles being my thing, it would definitely be, be very puzzly, which is why I'm kind of going to like, you're a detective. Maybe you are solving a crime and maybe you follow your own leads. You think, I think this person was involved. So you kind of follow that avenue and investigate. I think that would work really well. And I think people would really like it. But as I say, going down the sci-fi route, how amazing to have unlimited budget to have, like you look out the window and it's deep space and maybe you have like a room with zero gravity because <laughs> it's I have an unlimited budget exactly. here, I'm going to do it. <laughs> um, yeah, so something like that that really just takes people out because at the end of the day, yeah, uh, the world is kind of sucks. But that would be so much fun to just like not sit down and watch a film at home to like go and be in the film yourself and do whatever you want within that world. Solve puzzles or sit at the space bar. I don't mind. You can sit at the alien bar and drink beer if you want. That's cool as well. But having that kind of like experience that's so immersive and so multi-layered. I think I love it. I want to do it. <laughs> I really I really love the idea of that as well of like, but it being people, you have the people at the bar who might know something, but you don't know if they're yeah. also playing or not. Like, have they have are they part of the experience? Are they not? Like, I love that because then you get this kind of. I'm drawing a parallel for for the sake of illustration, but like almost like that MMO kind of style of thing where yeah. it is about the people in the world and the world yeah. itself more than you just going from A to B. It's yeah. not just about going and to play like... the dragon. Yeah, exactly. And the puzzles can be so much more like playful, more like deductive, more real world. Like if you were solving a case, you are essentially solving puzzles in your own way. So yeah, having the players do that kind of thing rather than like, oh, this is a Morse code cipher. What does it mean? <laughs> Something a little bit more immersive and realistic as well. <laughs> that sounds great. I'm, again, I'm already sold. Sign, sign <laughs> me off. I just need unlimited money first. So if you know where to find that, I'll make it. If I do, you know, in fact, no one will know because I'll, I'll be, I'll disappear. I'll just be gone. You'll just be gone. <laughs> we'll never hear from you again. <laughs> what can you say? Don't blame you. <laughs> um, my second favorite question then is, is there anyone or sort of anything that you'd like to give a nod to because it inspires you? Or something you just want to like give a little a bit really... of credit to? Yeah, that's a really lovely question. I think I'm going to bring it back to something we well, I mentioned a little bit earlier. And it was like, the people and things that inspire me are the things and the people who break the rules when it comes to what we think of in puzzle games. So, well, especially coming from me, so this sounds a little bit silly, but like, I do a lot of work for hire. So for more like established game companies. And there's a lot of like, you have to make a game very commercially successful. So there aren't, isn't a lot of room for breaking the rules traditionally. And I say this with mind for people like, so there's this fantastic company here in the UK called Enigmailed, and it's run by a guy called Stephen Lockyer. And he just does it for fun. So he gets to create the most amazing games. And he inspires me every single day because he'll send me a message or he'll send me my newsletter and it'll be like, 
I've made a puzzle game out of an empty Marmite jar. And this was a real game he made. And I played it. And it was just, like, ne would never be commercially successful. But it was the most fun thing ever. So he had, like, there was, like, a tea bag, And you had to cut open the tea bag, And there was, like, tiny details on the, like, fake tea that was inside the tea bag, And I had, like, get tweezers and, like, unroll it. And there was, like things hidden inside the glass that I don't even know how he made and he obviously like went and like, engraved it himself inside the box and you could never do that commercially and so I look to designers like him and game companies like that and it's like that inspires me because he had an idea he broke the rules of what it means to make a game of this kind and he it's like a passion project right he just absolutely smashed it and it inspires me because I want to work on passion projects myself and I don't usually get to work on those kinds of puzzles because I'm under commission to do a certain game for a certain type of company that is going to make money for that company kind of thing. That's a very cynical way. I love my clients. If you're listening to this, please don't fire <laughs> me. But you know what I mean? Like passion projects. I just, I love people who can do that. So Stephen Lockyer comes to mind. He's just like a very random game designer here in the UK, probably doesn't have much reach outside of the US, but he should because his games are absolutely fantastic. Um, and yeah, there's probably hundreds of other names I could mention. So like there's one I'm coming to mind who does a similar thing in America. She's called Rita Orlov and she's always does Kickstarters for her games. But again, like very small release, fantastic puzzles, absolute passion project. And I just think these people are doing the things that's paved the way for the next generation of puzzle creators. It's fantastic. So yeah, shout out to the people breaking the rules. <laughs> so I think this is this is going to be, I kind of want to tap into, you mentioned about, you know, <laughs> puzzle rooms are the, the glue that brings societies together. <laughs> that kind of really resonated yes. with me. Do you <laughs> think, because again, it's that kind of stereotypical image of people think, the escape room, people are having a fight and falling out. Like, do you think there's a utility for escape rooms to do good and like be a yes. beneficial for us apart from just being fun? I do. I think maybe escape room isn't the exact thing that is that because usually it's quite Sorry, cost prohibitive. Pu I think puzzle, the average puzzle game. I, I meant to say. I was just getting my words. <laughs> no, that's all good. I mean, just to say on escape rooms, yeah, very cost prohibitive. So maybe not your average escape room that someone goes for like a party, but puzzle games in general, yes. I think they have an incredible power to good, for good. I think I read something a while ago and it was about um, how puzzle games can be used for, well, are being played by older people, people going into their like um, later years in life as a way of like keeping their brains young and stuff like that. And there's loads of like, it seems scientific evidence to back that up that like, if you keep your mind active in a way that puzzle games do and like kind of challenge you to like think of new things, you can like stay healthier for longer. There's like physical health benefits as well. I don't have the stats, not exactly my area of expertise, but I just think it's so interesting how puzzle games are this medium that is good for your health, mental and physical, but they also bring people together. And they also, I think, especially for me, were super helpful during the lockdown when people suddenly found themselves at home alone and a lot of puzzle games are built for solo players but also built in a way that you can potentially play online with people like a lot of my favorite puzzle games have solo mode and have cooperative mode online so they were providing people that kind of like escape that positive mood boost when you're playing by yourself but then also a reason to meet up and sort of get together so i have this really good friend who 
she lived by herself during lockdown and every single Wednesday we got together and we played escape rooms together and honestly like I don't know what I would have done without her and like having that outlet like we would just spend the week looking for new puzzle games new escape games and we'd log on and we played them together and it was just so good for connecting us and connecting other people and as a designer myself like seeing other stories like that so like games I worked on I read reviews and it was like this was like the best thing we did all week like we fought we like made up we like celebrated it's like yes that's all the things I wanted you to do kind of maybe not fighting but a little bit of healthy like banter when it comes to I think we should solve it this way or I think we should solve it this way and it's just like I think puzzle games compared to other genres have a real interesting role to play within sort of how we play together mental health as well in terms of like sort of improving your mental cognitive abilities over time but also just like giving you that win when you're like playing by yourself and like giving you that escapism for an hour or whatever it is you play honestly I'm biased being a puzzle game designer but for me puzzle games do that above other genres and I just think that's the most special most powerful thing in the gaming industry for sure so I think it's really interesting you mentioned that because I think you know, when in like video game literature, we talk about mastery. You know, people want to feel competent yeah. at games, want to feel good at them. Uh, and yeah. with a lot of traditional games, that's usually like by reaching an endpoint or beating a boss or you know, these things or getting a really good score. And I think with, with, with puzzle games, it's different because typically there's more than just one puzzle. You don't just do one thing and then you, you're good. Yeah. I think what I'd love to know is how do you <clears throat> calibrate the difficulty of a puzzle? Because I feel like we've all been there. You're playing, again, I'm saying particularly video games yeah. myself, and a puzzle just makes no sense. It's just logic that you just can't comprehend. Then you look it up and you're like, I'd never yeah. forget that, ever. Yeah. How do you kind of manage that as a designer? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think, well, what a lot we see in a lot of video games is like, almost tutorializing a puzzle so something like the witness comes to mind i don't know if you've played that one but essentially it is like a series of puzzles but the first one introduces the mechanic of the puzzle the second one is mechanic plus so it's the mechanic with a longer thing the third version will have a twist and then the fourth version will sort of require you to build on everything you've done before i think when it comes to designing a puzzle that for me is the gold standard, like having incremental steps. You don't want to throw someone in with the last puzzle, the fourth step in that, because that's going to be horrible because they don't really know how it works. But giving them that journey to go through allows you to set up the rule and then break the rule in a fun way that actually gives you that like aha moment when you're like, oh, hold on a minute. This isn't what I expected. But based on what I've learned, how can I use this to still solve the puzzle? So in The Witness, it's very simple. You're like guiding little lights through like mazes, for example. And then the first few, it's straightforward. And then the second one, maybe half the maze is covered. And you're like, oh, no, I don't know how to do this. So you have to solve in a different way. And then the third one, maybe your controls are flipped and you have to solve it in a completely different way, but in an incremental way that kind of makes sense. And I think that's good puzzle game design. What you're describing with like the puzzle that never quite makes sense. Honestly, I think it's just bad puzzle design. <laughs> Easy to say, right? Like quite often, I'm sure I've designed puzzles that people just don't get. And I'm like, but how can they not get it? Like it makes sense. And and that's a challenge every puzzle game designer faces. Probably the number one challenge. Because at the end of the day, if you're designing a puzzle, you're not trying to, as a designer, you're not trying to be the smartest person in the room. You're trying to make them have a good time and feel smart. You want your player to have their own aha moment and be able to figure it out. 
you should never use things that are like outside knowledge because you don't know. You should always try and be accessible. If it's a color puzzle, someone may not be able to solve it if they're colorblind, pure and simple. And it should be incremental. Like it should feel like small, easy wins building up to the biggest puzzle, which is maybe a little bit harder, but uses what you've already learned in the game. That's good puzzle design. It doesn't necessarily always work out, but I think that's what us as designers should strive to create in the experiences for sure. So you've really got to like workshop and sit there and go, how will someone break this? And how can I avoid them doing yes. this? <laughs> that's a whole extra issue. That's what QA is for, to be like, here's the puzzle. There's this fantastic video that did the rounds and it's a girl and she's, um, it's like well, it's a woman, I think she's a game developer or something herself. And she's like putting blocks or she's like supervising someone putting blocks and like every block can fit in like the circle. And she's like, like, it's like a star shaped block. And she's like, put it in the star hole. And then they drop it in the circle. And it's just wild because you would think how a puzzle is supposed to be solved. And then someone just comes along and they're like, I just ran straight to the end and didn't do it. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> so have you ever had like, cause I, I always like, picture this happening to someone in an escape room where like they accidentally work it out straight away right because like yes. again traditionally with <laughs> escape rooms specifically you're typically looking for a key that opens a lock on the yes. door, right and like yeah like, have you ever had like a big puzzle game fail where like someone has just completely broken it or like <laughs> assumed a key was round and not square and just just gone like well i don't know what i'm doing and flip the box Pretty much. So maybe not anything I've designed, although something might come to mind, but I've seen it so in talented. rooms. You, you never designed a game like that, you know what I mean? <laughs> not at all, but hopefully I would have caught that in QA and not published that for the final game, one would hope. But I do see it in other, escape, uh, other games, so especially in escape rooms. And a classic example is you get these five-letter locks. And let's say the room is pirate-themed. And that's the final puzzle is locked by a five letter lock. And the other puzzles give you the different letters. But it being a pirate themed room, you can go in and go, oh, what if it's skull? Because there's a giant skull and crossbones and put it in and that's the right answer. And that's the final puzzle. That happens all the time with themed rooms and letter locks that are also real things. It's very easy to guess. Um, I see it all the time. I'm in escape rooms where it happens all the time. And you're like, oh, no, I've just opened this box and this is the final puzzle. It's not good when it happens because people miss the puzzle. They don't get their money's worth in the experience. They miss all the puzzles and then nothing makes sense. Everything's out of order. So we don't want that to happen whatsoever. But it also can happen in terms of things like, so I mentioned Morse code before. If someone knows Morse code and you have a Morse code puzzle, they don't need to solve the puzzle because they know the translation already because they know it off by heart. So the real challenge is designing puzzles that people can't do that to. And I think that's something I always try and do. Like you use other materials in the game so do mentions this tabletop 3d um haunted house is what i mentioned we do have like weird languages in it but they're not real languages because we want players to go through that process of finding what each symbol means in the game so they can't brute force it they can't go to the end because it's not a language that's at all recognizable so they can't decode it and i think that's what we have to aim for as well but yeah it happens all the time when people jump right to the end <laughs> I, I really am going, you know, regular listeners will know I kind of provide like a general kind of script for questions and then I just kind of ham it up. Uh, this is me doing that yeah. purely. So I, I apologize if you've not had a chance to 
like preface this at all. So sure. <laughs> on that logic, then do you do you start from like the 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 bottom up? Do you start with like your final puzzle and work backwards? Like, is that the actual best way yeah. to do it? Generally speaking, yes, or at least for my game design philosophy. Other people might disagree, but I always start with the final output. Like, what is the whole game working towards? What are people finding? And then I work backwards from that. So what's the step before that? What's the step before that? What's the step before that? Um, generally speaking, there's two different types. There's either a linear puzzle or a nonlinear puzzle. Linear being step one, step two, step three, and then I get to the end step. Nonlinear being... I collect four things and use them all together on the final step kind of thing. In both cases, it's helpful to know what the final thing is. So if it's a board game, are you finding a secret word or are you finding a key or are you whatever it is in the physical game? Because then you know what the output for all the smaller puzzles has to be and what you're building towards and where you need to tell the story beats as well. So for me, for sure, I would start with the final thing. That said... I did mention I was working on a murder mystery right now. We still haven't decided who's the killer and the game's nearly finished. <laughs> but that's okay because they all have very good motives, but I'm working on it. So sometimes I break my own rules. <laughs> so again, from a mechanical point of view, and you see this in, I'm thinking of like the shapeshifting detective, for example. Yeah, it's like yeah. an a, 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 a FMV? Full, yeah, full motion video game. You play as a detective that can morph into other characters to roll other conversations. Yeah. Uh, play that on stream. Check the let's play it on YouTube. Um, Got to do the self promotion. Sorry, <laughs> but like <laughs> the whole point of that game is that the killer can actually be one of a certain number of people. So that mm. to note, you can't just brute force it by playing again because the killer is actually on a rotation. So like, That's amazing. you could potentially, yeah. if if all of them have good motives, you could literally just be like roll the dice, pick a card, yeah. put that in an envelope and almost clue that it and be like, yeah. So I like that. You don't know until Replayable. you know, yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot. That's a really good point. I'll bring that to my next team meeting. <laughs> uh, listen, it's a podcast. It goes, I think it's it's reciprocal in its, in its uh, exchange, <laughs> you know. But I just think, because I think like, again, maybe this is me just as someone who's a consumer, but I think mm. the most, because I, I love a good man, the mystery course, they do psychology. Yeah. Um, the most compelling ones for me is where everyone could have done it. Everyone wanted yeah. to do it. You know, really going for that, like, kind of stuff where, yeah, everyone wanted to do that. it, but it's, but it's figuring out who did it that is the bit yeah. that you want to achieve. Um, yeah, I feel like, like giving everyone a smoking gun and a motive, but then it's another small detail that kind of comes out at sort of the 80% mark of the game that then sort of cracks the whole thing open and actually lets you dive into so maybe the time of death is different so everyone's alibis are out the window like that's a very fun reveal in games like that i think yeah because i think like what's the fun of it it's like oh well okay it's obvious that there was one person that wanted to do it but now we need to prove it like that's too much of the judicial <laughs> judicial system yeah i want to think everyone's <laughs> potentially gonna like get me you know mm, no no who to trust yeah because then, cause then that also, I think, creates that double element of, like, oh, well, can I really trust that information? Or are they lying yeah. to me because they want to remain hidden? I like that. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> I also just really love, like, deception games, like Sheriff of Nottingham. Like, yeah, mate, just, oh, just, yeah? just transporting five chickens. There's no contraband in there, mate. No. no. <laughs> me. This I love it. It's a good opportunity to add some humour as well, like into games like that, when you have silly things like that. <laughs> I love it. 
Um, so before we sort of get to, get to wrapping off, I always uh, like sure. to do a bit of a quick fire. Um, you mm-hmm. mentioned Desert Island Discs before. This is definitely not ripped off from Desert Island Discs. No copyright. BBC <laughs> can't sue me. Um, <laughs> you are going to a biodome of your choice. You mm-hmm. can describe that if you'd like to. For a rest. <laughs> and to take with you, you take one album, one book, mm-hmm. one, I'm going to say, TV show or film, um, yeah. and one game. What are you taking with you? Yeah. Now, the, the exceptions and rules sort of are... If you can physically obtain it in one collection, you can have the whole thing. Okay. Sounds good. I like that. How long do I have to remain in this uh, biodome? For, for as long as you want. You're on holiday. Oh, I'm on a holiday. Excellent. So it's like a fun. It's not like this is the end of my life when I have to play this game again <laughs> every single day of my life. <laughs> no, no. It's fun, positive, nice. Positive. I'm not trapped. <laughs> um, okay, then. Good question. So my film would probably be Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Absolutely love that. I actually have a tattoo. So for people watching, I'm like showing like it's upside down. But one of the characters from it. Ugh, okay. Yeah. I have a little tattoo of her. Um, absolutely love that film. Um, for my book. It would actually be one that I read quite recently, um, like a couple of weeks ago, and it's called How High We Go in the Dark by Sequoia Nagamatsu, I think it is. Um, And essentially, you might love it because it is dystopian kind of end of the world, but I'm picking this one because it's actually broken up into short stories, and so it's definitely a kind of book you could dip in and out of, as well as telling a really interesting, powerful story. Assuming I had not read this before, I would love to read this on my holiday. As it was, I read it sort of on trains going to and from around the UK and staring out the window, contemplating the end of the world. Like, it was definitely a vibe, and I would like to reread that, having read it fresh on my holiday. So that's a good one for that. In terms of album, I would say probably MGMT's Little Dark Age. I think it goes well with the How High We Go in the Dark because a lot of those songs are kind of like a little bit like darker, but like in a fun way. There's one or two that's a good like bop for a holiday as well. So it's got everything I need on it. And last but not least, I'm not going to say a puzzle game for my video game, which is highly controversial. And and the podcast. (laughs) You had one job. All this talk. I love puzzle puzzle games even when I'm not working. Love them. Not taking a puzzle game. No. Had yeah. enough. If I'm on my holiday, I'm probably not going to want to play a puzzle game. <laughs> so my favorite game ever is like very short, very indie, and it's called Teacup. And it is about a little frog and she wants to host a tea party, but she looks in her cupboards and she's run out of tea. So all she has to do in the game is go and collect tea. And that's absolutely it. There is nothing more to the game. And it is the nicest game I've ever played. It's like a warm hug in a video game. And you can finish the whole thing in probably in under an hour. And no puzzles. I like minor, minor puzzles in that like you have to figure out where someone is on the map to like buy the tea from them. But it is just the cutest sweetest game ever um it's like i guess it's as much of a puzzle game as like the stanley parable is a puzzle game so not really but there's like a little bit of like finding things on the map and stuff like that absolutely fantastic game even if it's not a puzzle game but can't do wrong by teacup highly recommend it if anyone wants a nice warm hug <laughs> if if you like that kind of thing that kind of the first thing that came to my mind was something maybe around like a a short hike you know, sort of like yeah, that. I did play that. 
excellent recommendation because that is also a fantastic game also very short and like not like much to it but in a good way like very, simple it's, beautiful it's, it's wholesome it's wonderful yeah it is a game that you just play and go oh this is lovely yeah absolutely teacup is definitely the same vibe and unlike a little bird i think it is in a uh, short height you play a little frog so very cute you can jump around it's adorable <laughs> so as we sort of get to the business end of the episode uh-huh. uh, i'm trying to wrap my brain just think if there's anything else i, I want to ask a puzzle designer while while we're here um oh have you got like sure. and again i understand if you can't actually answer this but have yeah. you got like a signature kind of puzzle that you go oh yeah i'm i like sign that one like an artist because you're so happy that you you created it <laughs> um people in the puzzle game industry do and I swear that I can play a game and identify maybe the company, but maybe also the individual designer. So when I'm working with certain people and someone designs me a puzzle, I, it has their signature all over it. And I think I do have a signature puzzle, which I have we've woven into lots of games by accident. And without giving you like giving it away, it's deceptively simple, but people always puzzle over it in a long way. And that is... Having a visual where, let's say, in a scene you have three loaves of bread and two croissants and lots of other things. But the point being, there being three loaves of bread indicates you count to the third letter of bread. So B-R-E. And then having two croissants is R. And just having a scene that's like totally like unassuming, but you maybe you have like a menu or something... And that tells you, oh, well, I can count three. So it's the third letter. Da, da, da. And that takes lots of different forms. You can have an abstract pattern and the pattern has shapes like a blue triangle. And there's like four of them. And maybe you're counting for triangle. Maybe you're counting for blue. Like however you want to set it up. I love putting a puzzle like that because you can skin that in any way. You can clue that in any way. You can make it obvious or you can make it really obscure. So it can be your entry level puzzle or it can be your Easter egg puzzle that you don't expect anyone to find. And I just think that is such a beautiful little idea that I can spin in any different way. I try and put it in almost every game by accident sometimes, because sometimes I'm like, oh, I need a puzzle to like fill this little gap, but like something that's not too hard. So I definitely overdo it. But it all started when like a couple of years ago when someone shared this puzzle with me and I was like, oh, this is like da-da-da. And they're like, yeah, I call it the Mari puzzle. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you named a puzzle after me? So now it's just like stuck in my brain. It's like, yeah, I use that puzzle a lot. So if you spot that in a board game, I might have worked on it. <laughs> I also love that like you mentioned like Easter egg puzzles, like, ah, oh, no one will probably get this. It's like a minor detail. <laughs> like the colour yeah. of the person's shoes that like you don't expect <laughs> anyone to get, but you're like, oh we'll see if anyone does. Yeah, I love putting those in. Putting an Easter egg puzzle in any puzzle game is great fun. It's like taking dimensions. There are tiny details I don't expect anyone to notice, and they're like extra bonus puzzles or extra bonus content that I will be shocked if anyone on the internet ever finds. <laughs> internet, you hear the here first challenge challenge issued. <laughs> so this is this is a cheeky question, a bit risky. So I understand if you can't actually answer it again. But have you ever put something in a puzzle game? that maybe you shouldn't have like like on the sly sort of like put something like maybe like a little sort of extra extra or or something on accident like you left something in that shouldn't have been there 
Yeah, yeah, I would say so. The funny one for me is people's names. Like I might put a placeholder name that's like someone I know or someone I hate and I make them, not that I hate anyone, but maybe like a childhood bully or something silly like that, that I leave in. And then the game goes to publish and I'm like, oh God, I hope they never see this. Or people's photographs. So sometimes I like have to take photos and sometimes I use my own photos from the past. And I always remember I have like a game with like Polaroids from a party and I kind of put it in as a placeholder and kind of like wrote notes for the designer being like, we should do this, we should change this. And it just went in as is. And those are like my friends. I just never told them that. And that's terrible. <laughs> they would be fine. They're good friends. But just one of those funny things that I'm like, oh, I really didn't expect that that would go to print like that. But okay, I'm just going to go on with it. <laughs> so somewhere there's a party photo in a game that I won't say. Maybe that's another Easter egg for someone to find. And it's you can see me in the photo and you can see lots of other people I went to school with. So that's fun. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. That, okay, that's excellent. That's really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, that is sort of pretty much all of the questions I have for you. I want to be respectful of your time. Um, I do, oh. however, like to table turn on myself <laughs> for the purpose of the podcast and give you the opportunity to ask me a question. Um, I have been asked the like biodome question, uh, what I'm doing with my PhD. Had those ones before, so like on the podcast. Okay. So, any question you like to ask me? Maybe I will ask you, do you have any favorite puzzle games? And I would like to know if like board game genre slash video game genre slash maybe even physical escape room, if you've ever done one that was particularly impressive. Um, So you're going to be disappointed by this answer because <laughs> I love the idea of puzzle games, but I'm crap at them, like generally speaking. Um, Mostly because I think a lot of them rely on visual cues that kind of puts me out a little bit, uh, you know, being, being a bit blind and that. Um, and I also think that, like, I do really, like, over-egg my own pudding. I really sort of, like, <laughs> go, oh, but what if it's this, but what if it's also this, when, like, actually I should just get into the the simplicity of it and, and just go with it. I think probably, like, in terms of genre of, like, video games, maybe, um you know, I do I do enjoy that type of who done it. Like you know, shapeshifting detective is about you really it's it's processing the information, thinking about the people um and those relationships. Yeah. So that's a bit easier to like untangle the puzzle that way. Um so like yeah, I'd, I'd definitely give mention to that. Um I know there's a few other kind of like you know again like we were here together, we were here too that are like I really like that element of involving another person. Um, what's it called? Uh, nobody stops talking. Nobody stops talking. No one explodes. Um, oh yeah, the one about the bomb. Yeah, like, I love that game. That type of game. There's one where like everyone controls different parts of a spaceship as well. Like where you're trying to solve something, but you you require that cooperation. Yeah. Um, so this slightly puzzle adjacent, I guess. Like sort of like deception games as well. It's like uh, Ultimate mm-hmm. Werewolf. Where like, oh yeah, if you're a villager, you're trying to solve who the werewolf is um i'd say like those type of things are maybe the ones i I access more yeah awesome i can tell you incredibly disappointed by that answer (laughs) (laughs) no i love it i think the party puzzle games are actually really valid that i hadn't really considered before like everything you just said i wouldn't normally consider it puzzle game but i was like actually you know what that's a really way of 
like interesting way of like thinking of um one night ultimate werewolf for example like it is a puzzle game but no one's designed the puzzles it's the friends you're playing with that have created the situation to be solved and that's really interesting to me so actually i love your answer it's like nothing i've heard before i hang out with too many puzzle people so it's very refreshing to hear someone answer in that way <laughs> and, and i think one of the reasons that's fun and you touch on it yourself is it's the people so like you know your mates you know their towels like you know oh, you yeah. know when when they get that like their little like smear here ah you're chatting mints i've caught <laughs> you now um and i think that exactly adds like that richness because i think the other thing I've, I've noticed with an escape room is that like the number of people can be quite challenging and you can have too many people where like yeah everyone's kind of like flipping the piece of paper over and then no one knows if they've seen this or not that type of yeah. thing um you know too, too many true. cooks spoil the broth as it were very true i know what you mean i played one in um canada actually a couple of months ago and it was a it was public booking so i wasn't with my friends i was with strangers and b they fit 12 people in that room and that just blew my mind because I think six is too much and they somehow managed to fit 12 people in one escape room. It's definitely a cultural difference between like what would happen in the UK versus what happens in North America. But that blew my mind that someone had designed it for that purpose. So, yeah. Okay. So last, last sort of actual question then. Um, yeah. Just came to me. What would be your number one top tip for solving puzzles? It just came to me because like you think about people I would say four people yeah. is the best number. And like, yeah. I would go <clears throat> heist movie style. Like, okay, this person's really good. This type of puzzle, this type of puzzle. And like pick a <laughs> squad that way. Yeah, How do I become a sure. master of puzzles? A master of puzzles. Well, for sure, I would say to learn your um, genre, not genre, medium in the exactly what you just said. If you're going into an escape room, it's not about your own personal ability to solve puzzles. It's about the people you're with. So making sure you pick the right group to go in with you. So I do play with a semi-competitive team and we know what we can do. So we split, divide and conquer very well. And it makes us a very good team. But if you're not playing in a team and you're just playing by yourself, I think that the best advice I can give for someone becoming a good puzzler in any genre is to expect the unexpected. And that sounds really cheesy, but... The best puzzles and the puzzles that always take me by surprise are the ones that do something different. And I'll be staring at something for the longest time and you just need another perspective. So you need to sort of have an open mind when it comes to an approaching and a puzzle, a puzzle in terms of like, it's not going to meet my expectations or I'm going to pretend I'm a child and I've never seen this before. What's logical? How might I approach this? What does the designer want me to do? And then can I do it differently? Can I break like all kinds of things in terms of that but like this is a problem you get actually when you have played a lot of puzzle games or played a lot of escape rooms that I face all the time is I go into a room and I'm like I know how to solve this and but when it's not I am flabbergasted <laughs> I'm like I don't know how to solve this because it didn't match my expectations and I think that's it's like like I think kids are the best puzzle solvers and a lot of board games are like this is for 14 plus and I play it with like my eight-year-old brother and he can solve things faster because he doesn't have any preconceived notions about how a puzzle should be solved so just channeling that energy into whatever you're trying to solve is a great way to start because truly the essence of like a good puzzle is that it should guide itself yeah like, so you should be able to just exactly. lead with it and like i think 
the parallel that my brain kind of pinged off then was like a good method section of a research paper should mean you could give it to anyone and they can reproduce your study exactly how you did it that's the point yeah and like really you should be that's able a to perfect analogy just like let anyone yeah. just like drop your preconceived notions and just if the puzzle is good you should get from a to b absolutely fantastic um my my very last question for you then is where is the best people place for people to find you on said internet so So they want to send you some cds you know (laughs) cds oh gosh (laughs) please do (laughs) so i can be found on all social media everywhere under the name mari spaceship so that is m-a-i-r-i and then spaceship um, just as the word spaceship. And that's also the URL for my portfolio as well, if anyone does want to talk design. So it's marispaceship.com. Um, I do also write about escape rooms and news and stuff, but if you go to marispaceship.com, that will be linked from there as well. So yeah, if anyone ever wants to talk puzzles, anything at all, please do hit me up. All the links available wherever you found this episode attached. If it's the video, it's Perfect. down that way. If it's the audio, you clicked on it, so it's going to be involved in there somewhere. Um, okay all all that remains for me to say is thank you so much Mario for joining me this has been a great chat I feel like I've learned a lot I now feel like oddly inspired to want to solve more puzzles and maybe make puzzles <laughs> which I know isn't going to end well for me or anyone around me uh... you should take my advice literally just make puzzles even if they're terrible just make them anyway because that's a cool thing to be able to say you did even if it's just for like your friends or family I'm sure they will appreciate the effort. <laughs> but yeah, it's been lovely. Thank you so much for having me. Lovely stuff. Okay, so for the video, I will find I always lose the scene. Um, I'll flick to the ending screen. I'll just say thank you everyone for listening. Thank you for watching. And as always, look after your mind, body, and soul. Bye-bye. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Psyched to be with you. I hope you enjoyed it just as much as i did if you did do please leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts it really helps Uh, otherwise check out the description of the episode for the links for the guest but also uh, to keep up with information about the show and myself Uh, i really hope you enjoyed this listen Uh, until next time take it easy look after your mind body and soul and i'll see you again for another episode very very soon bye bye